Diversity and Inclusion on Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill, and I am the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at the AAVMC. On this episode of the podcast, I am delighted to finally finish the series that I've been working on all season on intersectionality. Today, I am welcoming two DVM students who identify as both queer and people of color. This show has been in the making for a very, very, very long time. So I'm very excited to have each of them on the show today. So I am very excited to welcome Layla Tarpalici. Lena Tarpalici. Tarpalici. <laughs> and Juan Sebastian Juancho. Juancho. Orwella. Orwella, yeah. Orwella. Okay, great. To the show. So, welcome to both of you. I am very excited that you have made time to be on the show. I'm really excited. So, why don't we get into it? So, Juancho. Yes. Why don't you tell us about yourself? Of course. So my name is Juancho. My last name is Orjuela, like uh, Lisa said. I am a second, I'm going into my second year of veterinary school here at the Ontario Veterinary College in Canada. So I'm currently located in Guelph, Ontario. It's not that far from the States. It's just right above Michigan. And yeah, I love it here. I am interested in pursuing One Health, uh, the One Health uh, kind of initiative that has been kind of exploding in the veterinary field. I'm really excited about learning about wildlife and working with people in the community as well as the environment. I'm a big advocate for that. So that's something that I'm aiming to do right now. I'm currently doing a summer research program here at the Ontario Veterinary College with Dr. Michelle Oblak doing 3D printing research in, in veterinary medicine. So we're currently establishing an organization or a consortium for veterinary professionals around the world to network regarding 3D printing in veterinary medicine as a new technology. So yeah, I have a little dog. Her name is Jenji. She's my little partner in crime. And I am originally from Bogota, Colombia. And I was born there and I moved to the States and then now I'm in Canada and I do identify as gay. So, All yeah. Right. <laughs> nice Great. to meet you guys. Welcome and welcome, Gingy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Lena, tell us about yourself. So I'm Lena Tarpalici. I am a fourth year veterinary student at Oklahoma State University. I am also a dual degree, so I also work on my master's in business. Current interests are around parasitology research. I've been working on the same project for about over a year, and I'm about to present it at the World Parasitology Conference in July. So I've been working on that pretty steadily. I'm originally from Oklahoma, born and raised uh, right in the Tulsa area. I'm Native American. I'm part of the Muscogee Creek tribe here in Oklahoma, and I identify as pansexual. Awesome. Welcome. Wow, you both are doing such cool stuff. <laughs> so there's like parasitology, the little bitty bugs, and then you've got 3D. So we're kind of 3D printing. Like I'm going to take a total like detour for just a moment because I was like, 3D printing is so cool. So like, what are you guys making? So we're pretty much, uh, our research is pretty much creating an organization, but we're calling it the Consortium for 3D Printing in Veterinary Medicine. And it's an organization where it would bring all veterinary professionals to one network, kind of like VIN, you know what VIN uh-huh. is, a lot of veterinarians use in practice, mm-hmm. and bringing them to uh, all to one spot to like network and, and learn about the new technologies that are out there regarding 3D printing and the use of 3D printing and surgeries. I don't know if you guys were aware of the story that kind of just broke out earlier this year regarding the skull transplant of a, of a dachshund who had a tumor, and that was you like that case uh our doctor who i'm working under dr michelle oblak she was able to remove that tumor using a 3d model prior to the surgery she did the surgery and then she went ahead and did the 
actual surgery with uh, with a lot shorter time spans and it was more cost effective and the dog was under uh, lower amounts of anesthesia because of it so it's just like uh, bringing the technology so uh, we know how to better help patients in faster in a faster way and uh, with like a faster recovery as well so it's just all kind of new to me, I guess, because it's not really scientific research, but it, it does take a lot of work because we're establishing different uh, social media outlets, um, networking a lot with different professionals. So uh, with the business school here, with engineers, with uh, art students. So it, it's just pretty much like building a company. Sure. So, and, sure. and right down uh, or right up my alley. So <laughs> I really enjoy doing it. And uh, it's something that you, yeah, you guys can look forward to eventually. It's it's a first in the veterinary profession when we release our website and make it live and uh, hopefully it becomes a big thing. So very cool. That's so awesome. Yeah, that's super cool. So all right, so let's dive into our conversation about being both queer and folks of color. So do you see, do either of you kind of feel like you see yourselves in the profession? Certainly there's multiple, we have all have multiple identities, right? And so tonight I'm going to ask you to kind of, to really kind of think about these two that you're kind of walking around in. And so do you ever find yourselves kind of saying, wow, it's it, like, it's just me. <laughs> some, pick, some pickings. <laughs> right. Do you want to go first or should I add one? <laughs> okay, perfect. So in the, prof- yeah, I definitely see myself in the profession. You know, I don't think that sexuality has ever defined who I am, my sexual orientation. I've always been the same person ever growing up. I always knew I was gay. Um, it, it was harder with my culture to accept it. But, you know, I, I went ahead and, and, and kind of blocked all that out. And during college, I decided to come out. And I always saw myself as a veterinarian. You know, I never thought about the fact that, oh, I'm gay, is it going to really affect me in, in, in the professional life? And, you know, I, that desire always kept going for me. And once I got to vet school, at, at least at the Ontario Veterinary College, uh, there there is a club called the Pride VMC, the Veterinary mm-hmm. Mother Co. Community. And we have a chapter here, which is pretty active. And now I am the president of it. And what I aim to do, I, I guess, is to like, break any stigmas that are in the profession or people dealing with, um, you know, identity difficulties yeah. in the profession. I feel like as as a person that represents the club and repre- represents the community, that I will be able to bring people and allies, not just people that identify, but ad- allies as well, because I feel like that's very important to, to, to normalize the fact that there's people out there that have different sexualities that identify differently and make sure that everybody's okay with it. And it's nothing that should be looked down upon or stigmatized. I I do feel like we as as a community belong in the profession and I, I do see a place for us i've never like not seen it it could be i i could have a different experience than somebody else of sure. course but i am helping you know i'm going out of my way and and seeing that this is this is a problem for some people for them it's really difficult to find their selves in the profession and, and and feel safe. So by by normalizing it as much as I can, hopefully that's going to show people that we're just like everybody else, that we make amazing professional like doctors, and that we'll have a, the same amount of impact as anybody else and the same amount of opportunities. And also encouraging other people from outside, people that are in high school and college, uh, to join the profession. It's for them to know that there's a community of support waiting for them in any university that they get into for vet school. So, yeah. So, Lena, so, you know, we have, at least in the U.S., uh, the percentage of students who identify as Native American or American Indian is less than 1%. So it's a very small number. (laughs) We are very used to that. (laughs) Very small. But also, in my research, the number of individuals who identify as pansexual is also very, very small. So what's been your experience at Oklahoma? So initially, well, 
<laughs> the I originally identified as bisexual through high school uh, and undergrad, and I actually didn't come out as pansexual until just last year. It's actually almost been a year, exactly. And I actually used a BuzzFeed video <laughs> to come out to everyone. And so I'm one of those people. For me in Oklahoma, a lot of people have been super understanding. I hang out with very like open-minded, progressive people who want to make just as much change as I do. But when it comes to vet school, I feel like I've enhanced their lives, I guess would be a good way to say it. I'm very loud, uh, very outgoing. I feel like I've brought a lot to the school in terms of bringing, I guess, color and being open about who I am. Uh, I've never shied away from who I am ever. So I feel like I've helped a lot of people here see that and embrace who they are also. I've hang out with people who are also very shy here. And uh, I think I've kind of broken that shell down a little bit for them because I'm, I'm just positive in so many ways. So for me, the experience has been very good. But I also know I'm also aware that there are not people like not everyone is as supportive. Sure. Um, yeah, sure. So I was going to ask you as a fourth year student, you're counting down the the months, the weeks, <laughs> the days, <laughs> right? So have things changed in your experience during these, I guess, three plus years now? I get I, overall, like I came in to vet school, not really planning on taking any leadership roles or being very active because initially that like really hasn't ever been a thing for me which I guess is very weird when people think about it. So I took on, I started taking on these leadership roles. I started noticing patterns and realizing like how much of an issue everything was, um, how much of an issue diversity was, like all these things just like building up. And I just never really thought about it before. When I decided to go into veterinary medicine, I didn't think about it being a majority white you know, position or anything like that. I was just like, I want to be a vet and I'm going to be a vet. <laughs> like that was really all there was to it. So I haven't really noticed much change other than the change that I'm making and me being more forward about the issues. I'm very willing to bring up all the issues now at the school. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's pretty much been it is that everyone, everyone is willing to come to me if they have questions about things. And I, and I feel like I've really helped the progression of it all. Of course, we're still lacking, but I, I feel like I've definitely made an impact and I feel like it's moving in a more positive direction. Good, good. Wancho and, and then Lena, have there been any experiences in which, I guess, in your time in vet school and even kind of pre-vet, that's kind of period of time where you have really been immersed in veterinary medicine, where you've had experiences where you're very hyper aware of, of who you are, both as a person of color, but also as someone who identifies as queer or on a spectrum? Yeah, 100%. So when I first started vet school, I came, I've moved a lot throughout my life. So I'm a very adaptable person, you know, moving to Guelph. Uh, I would live, I was living in New York City, right be before I moved to Guelph, Canada. And it's a big difference. That was an adjustment. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely an, adjust, uh, an adjustment. But like I said, I'm very adaptable. I've lived in smaller towns before and I've lived in really big cities. When I came here, I noticed that everything just seemed to be like less uh, talked about you know like so the, the even the club itself it, it was there but like it wasn't very active there, nobody was doing much with it e even people within the club I found I came to find out that they weren't even out to some of their family they were very like hush hush about it and for me you know I, I came into this community where I literally am one of the only minorities you know I, I've always found like my differences to be my biggest strengths and I always use that to 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 kind of, I guess, again, uh, like end stigmas and change people's minds. So I came in as a like totally foreigner. And a lot of the people that went to school here went to the University of Guelph. So they all kind of already knew each other. So I tried my best to like 
stand out as much as I could to kind of tell people, okay, this is who I am, because none of them knew anything about me. So doing things like I ran for class president, stuff like that, even just giving a speech, like people were able to recognize me a lot easier. And I think standing out is not always a bad thing. You know, everybody knows that I'm Colombian. I tell every every single person, <laughs> I'm very patriotic, and I'm super proud of it. And I think that that me having that's like that patriotism for my country that I was born in has really carried me through like some hard times in my life. And I also ended up telling people, you know, that I'm gay. And um, for some people, it caught them off guard. Yeah. And, 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 but it goes to show like people have this mentality that like they think that if you're in the LGBTQ community, you're supposed to fit this one box Mm -hmm. that you're supposed to be feminine, that you're supposed to be wearing these colors or like, and, and I'm not, I represent totally something different as in like, you know, I, I'd never growing up. I never really felt like I even fitted in, in, in the LGBTQ community because of some people even doubt it if I was actually gay, you know, like I, I've always, always been in a gray area and that's always been the hardest part for me. So coming here, starting new, get, be, becoming the president of the pride club. I created a march for uh, the uh, Toronto pride. So uh, our club is going to be marching and I got a lot of allies and a lot of people in my class to come march with us again, like normalizing as much as I can, because fortunately for me, I have almost that power too, because I stand out of the box at the communities usually put into so i'm able to like motivate people be like okay this is normal come hang out with us this is who i am experience my culture every time we go out they put some latino music on i'm always dancing with everybody <laughs> you know and for canadians that's something new because everybody's <laughs> like we have a we have a space and a bubble in colombia you know you you're very warm and loving and and you just like to have fun so I, I, I've mixed like uh, a lot of who I am and, and, and demonstrated it throughout my first year as much as I could to to kind of like make my place, to to like let people know that this is who I am. These are my boundaries and this is how how I work as a person due to my culture, due to my sexuality for a lot of reasons. So at first I didn't see much of a place for me, but I, it's been a very welcoming environment, at least at my university. And like the just helping people be more comfortable with who they are and and talking to people that are like Polish that were like, whoa, um, until I met you, like you're super Colombian and you're so <laughs> proud about being Colombian. Like now I feel like I'm more proud about being Polish or where I'm from, you know, like showing that sure. or like I'm more vocal about my sexuality, you know. And to me, I think that that has done a huge impact in, in my experience and has ha- allowed to help me uh, or to help a lot of people in, in different little ways. To me, that, that means a lot, right? So mm-hmm. uh, just create your own space as much as you could if there's not one. But yeah, I just I, I was just me and authentic as much as I could be. And people learn to love it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I gave them no options. <laughs> <laughs> So Wancho is telling us that he's very popular at Guelph. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I'm just like, I, I just stand out even more. It's not a bad thing, you know? you know? And I have this cute little dog. I mean, he's got the cute dog <laughs> who, licks, who licks the face on cue. Yeah. If you're listening to the audio version, be sure to scoot on over to YouTube. You've got to see the clip of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Lena, so you know, have you have you found yourself periodically being hyper aware of your identities at Oklahoma State? So, not necessarily like hyper aware in the sense of my sexuality. Um, I've always been very open. I'm very sex positive, very body positive, like very just very positive about all kinds of things. Um, so, I've been very open about everything ever since I've got into vet school. I'm pretty sure some of the girls admitted to being scared because of how overly positive I was about things. (laughs) Um, And so I, I never really worried about, I never, I never had to be like very aware of what people thought of me and my sexuality. However, with me being native American in Oklahoma, there's a lot, a lot of native Americans in Oklahoma as there should be. Um, And so my, my, since being in this position and seeing the lack of, of representation, um, I've definitely felt like I need to stand out more and reach out more. And so I've really taken those, those duties upon myself 
And I know there's others that can just as easily be a part of it, but I have felt like so strongly about it and realizing how underrepresented we are, not just in veterinary medicine, but across most professions, we are underrepresented. Uh, There's so many demographics where we either are less than 1% or don't even make a percentage because we're so little. And that just like really bothers me so much. And of course, like I can't go and like increase a whole population or anything like that. But just to be able to make a difference would be really great. So essentially, like my biggest issue with all of this in veterinary medicine, being Native American, we come from a history of blood quantums and being told how much Native American we are. Like if you're this little, like all these things, like you're judged on so many of those levels. And so I actually had to overcome a bias that I had growing up where when people are so little Native American, like a lot of people don't consider them like being Native because you're, you know, you're mostly white or, you know, whatever. And I really had to overcome all that because I grew up in a, in a family, well, around a lot of Natives that see it that way. And being someone who is, you know, a high percentage and coming from a family that is full and everything like that, it was really hard. And so I've, I've had to overcome that because there are definitely students here who they may be low percentage, but it's still there. And they're still, you know, have, have the recognition of being Native American. I really had to like assess everything that I've been raised on and, and kind of change some views that I had. But overall, like doing that has made me more aware of the situations in veterinary medicine or other professions or, you know, anything along those lines. So it's, it's definitely uh, been a huge stepping stone for me in all of this. Thank you. So one of the things that I kind of wanted to, to bring up that it, from both of these responses is that, and that I want listeners to understand why I'm doing this particular show is that there are these multiple identities and, and, and there are moments, I mean, you're walking, we're all walking around with multiple identities, right? At any given time. And there's gender, there's sexuality, there's class, there's education level, there's all of these kinds of things, but there are certain situations where one or more may step forward or you're wrestling with one or more or you're kind of thinking about your hyper visibility on this particular identity. So kind of what I'm hearing is, yeah, you're for you, Lena, the (laughs) the sexuality piece may not have been like, yeah, okay, so hey, you got questions, I got answers, I'm good. (laughs) But your own kind of stuff, for lack of, you know, another scientific word, around race and ethnicity and cultural identity is something that you had to um, personally work through. But also there's this kind of specter of realizing that you're one of very few in a state where there are very many, (laughs) right? So there's that piece, whereas with... um, Wancho, you have moved around so much that there is a a different kind of adaptability, both in terms of culturally, there's an adaptability that you've kind of adopted that has made you kind of ease into situations. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're not very aware (laughs) of when you might be, you know, one of you or the only one. It's just, you know, your journey has been a bit different. No, I, I agree. You know, I've always had to like restart or be the new kid <laughs> a lot in my life. And, you know, growing up that that was really difficult for me. But now that I'm older, I couldn't be happier that I had every experience that came across my life because it shaped me to be the person that I am today. You know, I'm, I'm very confident in who I am and I'm very sure of like the person that I am because I've always had to like, you know, again, start from zero. And I've gone to know me as a person a lot, quite a bit. And, you know, it just affirmed a lot of things for me. So I, I've, you know, I've had experiences that I, that I'm able to talk to people that haven't had the same experiences and help them in many ways that otherwise they wouldn't receive that advice or that, um, of that help regarding, you know, sexuality or, or where you're from. It's definitely been a struggle. And what you say about, you know, identities is so, so, so true. Um, growing up when I, you know, I, I was secretly gay. <laughs> so I always felt like I was living two lives. Yeah. And, you know, that that really affects you as a, as a human being. You know, as you start losing a sense of 
who you are or like what you really are and just being able to to move on from that and and kind of free yourself from that mm-hmm. is, is great um and it, it gives you more confidence in what you think that's why you know i might be a minority in many different ways including my ethnicity but again i, I go out of my way to show people like a lot of my culture even indirectly by dance or by food or stuff like that and i think that you know has a huge impact on people and i found that in the veterinary community a lot of people are very open-minded and progressive of course there's people that are not but in the grand majority people want to learn people want to experience really cool things at least i can say that for canadians (laughs) canadians are like so worldly and there's so much diversity here that I, I I don't know how the experience would be compared to the states. Uh, <laughs> I was say, are you low key shading us to your neighbors? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, oh man, but I, I love America. Don't get me wrong. No, right, right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's done a lot for me, but Canada is definitely a, a fresh breath air in the sense that there's so much more acceptance to things yeah. and like diversity than I found in the states. But that doesn't mean that somebody can't do, you know, create that acceptance, right? If I would have ended up going to a school in the States, I would have done exactly the same things I'm doing now. And I just take somebody to do it and go out of your way to, like, educate people. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Both of you have kind of alluded to, well, not alluded to, you told us really about how active you are on kind of multiple fronts. And Lena, you kind of touched on feeling a responsibility to kind of be engaged. And I guess my question is, does that feel like an obligation? And I don't mean obligation in a pejorative way, but do you really feel like you, it's for both of you, kind of this need to reach out to other minority students whether it's minority students of color or other cultures or race or whatever, and also LGBT folks who may be in small numbers as well. Do you feel kind of some kind of responsibility or obligation or kind of like, where where's my people? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I came to, so when I got here to Oklahoma State, the voice and broad spectrum were both dissolved when I got here. There was no chapters active here. And so I really, I was really bummed about that. It was, I was so excited to see that we had a chapter only to find out that it was no longer active. So I actually reinstated both chapters nationally going into my third year and held that for a year. I So I was president and I, you know, Join, I went voice national meeting um, and done all this stuff. And we actually won an award from voice national uh, most improved chapter going from nothing to a hundred. <laughs> um, started from the bottom, real bottom. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of that accomplishment. And I felt like it needed to, I definitely felt like it needed to be there. And I definitely felt like I was the person for the job. I guess responsibility and and obligation was, is kind of pushing it. But like, for me, it felt like the right thing that I needed to do because again, there's just so little representation and me being as loud and proactive as I am, it just seemed like the perfect job for me to take on. And like I said, I'm, I'm happy that I did it. I met so many fantastic people, including yourself. And so I I have loved every minute of taking on that responsibility and doing everything I've done that I can here. Awesome. Awesome. And Lena, I just want to give a shout out to your colleagues. Um, Lena will be graduating. I know we mentioned this, what, like this is the third time she'll be graduating. And so y'all need to step up to keep this club going. Yes. yes, please. Come on now, step up. Y'all got to get this, keep this thing going. You know, Absolutely. you don't want to, you don't want to go starting back at the bottom. No, no, definitely don't want to. You're do already that. here, so like we don't want to start back at the bottom. So, <laughs> so both of you have been very, very active in either voice or broad spectrum or or private VMC. There's kind of a lot of different 
names and I mean, Voice is a separate organization. However, they tend to be a lot of the same people <laughs> that hang out yeah. in both groups, right? <laughs> so can you talk a little bit, and, and Wancho, I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about the importance of affinity groups within a profession like veterinary medicine and kind of you know, what is, it's hard for some time for folks, particularly folks who may be straight, cis, white, or just otherwise parts of dominant communities, right? To understand why, why, well, okay, but we have this big group. Why do you need your group? Right. No, a hundred percent. I think it's super, super important. And the reason why is because it creates visibility, right? You can say, you know, there's LGBTQ people in, in, in our, in our class, but is there like spaces for them to, to meet, to, to have fun together, to feel comfortable, safe space? Is there a space where you can bring allies and they can see part of our culture as in the community? Uh, we like to call it, you know, like just even going out for a night and seeing how normal it is, the same things that we do as like the straight cis white people. <laughs> and, and, you mean it's way. not pose every single night? <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, some nights, right? I mean, I mean. <laughs> But no, like showing, you know, showing documentaries about the struggle that we as minorities have gone through and having people seeing that, having people feel like they have a community to rely on. You know, going to veterinary school is, is it's definitely a challenge. It's it's not an easy curriculum whatsoever. And it, it, nowadays, mental health is a big topic, right? In our profession, there's a crisis with mental health. And I think having like uh, communities like this, you know, clubs that offer this availability to, to different kinds of people is really important because if you're struggling and you can't identify or, you know, uh, confide in somebody that you don't really know, but if you join a club and it's a the you is your culture your people then you can talk to them you can confine in them they can help you you can find uh, resources that you can find in other clubs i think it's very very important uh, in the mental health aspect of it as students we we need that break we need that yeah. we need to come back to our roots almost and 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 that really i think at least for me it's helped me put a lot of things into perspective and it's helped me maintain a, a healthy mind to go on and and continue with this crazy curriculum <laughs> which I love but you know it's very very demanding and you know like like I said as a student we don't even have time to really go out and date or go out and, and do the normal things that we could do if we weren't in veterinary school so having these communities is like okay let's have a RuPaul's Drag Race night like that's amazing you know have a few laughs yeah. you know like there's like nothing like being in those scenarios and also inviting people, you know, like uh, always breaking the stigma. Like I say, I always invite all my straight friends and it, they end up loving it. You know, they end up loving it and, and seeing the whole thing in a different light. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it's really important nowadays. And um, yeah, mostly mental health. Though. Yeah. yeah. That's that's the mental health piece is really just so important. Right. Yeah. And this is something I'll be doing a show on next season where we talk about, even just some of the the mental health and risk factors for marginalized or underrepresented populations, actually some of those risk factors are elevated. And so, and then they're coming in and kind of, it's like doubling down on that, on, on those risk factors in a profession like this. And how do we make sure that folks are taking good care of themselves? How are we making sure that folks get the support that they need? And community is one of those things that's just so critical. And so you have, and we also have to always just be so mindful that absolutely veterinary, big family, yes, that, that is one form of community. But sometimes we really just have to find community with like folks, right? And that's okay. It's not, it's not all the time, but it's just sometimes you just need to go and let your hair down or 100%. not or whatever it is, that, yeah. you know, watch, watch the drag race or whatever it is. But you just kind of need to, to be able to, well, I tell people all the time, there's a, po- a poem by Paul Lawrence Dunbar called We Wear the Mask, right? And, and it talks about, this poem talks about how, and he's, he was an African-American talking about how moving through society, there's a mask sometimes that we have to wear just to just to keep going. And and sometimes it's because of racism, sometimes it's because of sexism, homophobia, whatever. Sometimes it's just because we just got to wear a mask because we didn't really want to be there. But <laughs> right. But there has to be a time where that comes off. Right. And you are 
your most authentic self. And as, as much as we aspire to be authentic 100% of the time, there are times when we have to practice self-protection and wear a mask. And, and I think that the, the thing that folks need to understand about affinity groups like Pride VMC or Multicultural Veterinary Medical Association or Voice is that there's really um, those, those organizations at their core are really about creating um, a space where you don't have to have a mask. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's only one Dean um, in the U S colleges. I don't know about the international schools, but know my Dean's pretty well. And, but, you know, I don't know, maybe there's stuff I don't know about him. But but there's only one dean who publicly identifies as gay, and that's uh, Dean Moore at The Ohio State University. What can we do? I mean, that's one thing. And he, he has taken it upon himself to be very visible and um, very open and very out. But what can we do to kind of continue to cultivate more diversity, not just in kind of the pipeline for students, pre-vet students, faculty, and all of those, but, but really kind of leadership? We know that... AVMA has also had, here in the States, has also had um, a gay president a couple of years ago, Joe Canarni, a few years ago. And so um, those individuals are just very visible. And, and I know that representation matters. So, um, so what do you think about that? And what can we do to foster um, an environment where we have more leaders? <laughs> uh, deafening okay. silence <laughs> this was the one i put the most thought into so essentially what what i believe is the the best way we can continue with this is to be to be out and to be supportive um so of course it's I didn't even know that we had one dean who identified as gay when I read that actually. Um, so that's awesome. But I think it I think it falls into the other the rest of the leadership to show support and be outspoken about it because no one's no one's gonna feel comfortable taking those roles on if they don't feel supported. So I think it I think it comes down to the leaders that we currently have uh, being supportive of of us like moving up into leadership and showing us the support that we need and, you know, loving it, loving it and (laughs) appreciating us. (laughs) No, I think like that's, that goes hand in hand with the affinity groups, you know, having that visibility is really important. Um, I can give you an example. Uh, Our Dean here at the Ontario Veterinary College, Dean Jeffrey Woodshow, he actually joins our March in the pride parade. He joined a couple of times and he, he, you know he's a straight white male and he brings his family and 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 that kind of support you know like shows the rest of the college like hey it's okay that's okay to be a leader that's an ally it's okay to have leaders in our university that are identified as lgbtq i'm really fortunate to have a faculty mentor dr andrew peregrine he's a parasitologist actually Um, (laughs) if you want to look him up he's actually very well known (laughs) he identifies as gay he's one of the biggest like advocates at the university he's very outspoken about it and he's an amazing mentor Honestly, like this club is his baby and it means so much to him that it exists. And like you said, with Oklahoma State, uh, when I came to OVC, this club was dissolving slowly. It was becoming less active. There was less interest. And, you know, knowing Dr. Peregrine and how much he cared about it and me wanting to change people's minds all the time about things, I said, hey, like, let's go ahead and and, and make this club what it should be and, uh, and, and show leadership, right? So I think as personally, I, I, I am a natural leader. I like to believe myself as a natural leader. So being president of this club and then being president of, of other clubs as a gay male, being out there invisible shows other students like, hey, you know, this is possible. Um, if Juancho can do it, I can. Um, mm-hmm. If Dr. Peregrine can do it, he they can. You know, if if uh, LAC the dean going to Pride Parade, more allies will come. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like that, mm-hmm. and just being you know visible as visible as you can be, and as accepting of everybody. Honestly, like in our own community, we can't reject people for their differences, and it happens. So a lot of people see a lot of controversy uh, on inviting allies to our meetings, stuff like that. But I think it is very important to do that because 
if you start with the root of the problem, I'm not saying that allies are the root of the problem, but they're the ones that identify outside of the community and they're the outsiders and I, and bringing them in and, and kind of like integrating them into our culture is going to change it for, for society in general. You know, these people are going to have colleagues, they're going to have families and they're going to teach these people around them, like all these really important values about accepting LGBTQ people and leadership roles and, you know, talking about their friends who are leaders and, you know, inspiring people through that. I think that's very important. And I think that's what, is going to change the profession and uh, the mentality that LGBTQ people have to be hidden in the profession because that's not the, the fact. And there's a lot of us, believe it or not. <laughs> and and I think we that should just bring us together and, and make us even more impactful for the profession itself. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that I'm so glad that you brought up the, the issue of allies, because that's also an issue for, you know, a lot of folks. And when we talk about affinity groups and the importance of affinity groups, like, well, I'm not X identity, can I come? And I think that most groups, of course, welcome allies. But I think that it's really important for those of us who are allies for groups that are marginalized, and maybe we don't share the identity of that individual, that group, for us to understand a couple of things. One, that we walk in and we walk through the world with other identities that that have a lot of privilege, right? And that as an ally, it's a response to the, one of the big things for in allyship is it's our responsibility to use that privilege to make things better for those without that privilege, right? For that particular issue. That is the role of the ally. Um, But that role and how we use that privilege is also dependent on how that community wants us to use that privilege. It's on them to have the say-so in telling us how they want to seek justice, how they want to seek equality and equity, and how they want to press forward. It's not for the ally to lead. The ally follows, but the ally uses their power. yeah, yeah. Their, their power and their privilege to advance the cause. And I think that folks have to really understand what it means to what allyship really looks like. The other thing is that allyship is particularly across marginalized groups. Um, we need to understand that the reason why I'm doing a show on intersectionality is because oppression is all, all linked, right? So we're looking at identities that um, are maybe underrepresented or otherwise marginalized in society. So as folks for folks who identify as women, they may be overrepresented in the profession, but they're not over <laughs> and actually numerically overrepresented in society, but socially there's still a marginalization and oppression there, right? People of color, LGBTQIA plus people, all of these kinds of things. So we have to recognize too in our allyship that there's a little bit of transactional piece there that we have to really kind of band together and use our various, where we have privilege, use that privilege to raise all ships. And I think that that's something that I really want people to walk away from our conversations about intersectionality and our conversation very specifically here about what allyship looks like that no, it means that we don't just get to come to the parties. Like, we yeah. got work to do. <laughs> no, 100%. Oh, my gosh. And you, you brought up on a very valid point, you know, like, that doesn't mean that if you're inviting allies to your to any events, they, they should take on any leadership roles or anything. The purpose of bringing them is for them to see us as leaders and to see us as an example to the community that maybe they wouldn't be, like, exposed to otherwise. And, and for them to, like, want to engage with the community to to help us progress, you know, it's it's not about them. It's more about yeah. helping the community and giving back to the community and like putting these people that deserve to be on a pedestal up there and helping them and holding them up. You know, yeah. So that's it's not that's about saving point. them. It's about being yeah. an ally. Exactly, being exactly. an ally. Hundred percent, but I think I think they do make an important, at least in in in, in the community here, an important way for us to spread our message even Absolutely. further. Yeah, what you said was totally, totally valid. So, Allyship is very, very important for any community. and But it is about kind of knowing what an ally's role really is in, in advancing a cause. So we're going to start wrapping up. I have the big question for, for both of you. What advice would you give to the queer minority pre-veterinary student? Mm-hmm. 
Should I go? Yeah. Okay. Um, what advice? I would say, do not be discouraged. You know, see it almost as a as a way of helping other people understand you as a person more and your culture and uh, your identity. If you're going to go to a school that's predominantly white and, and straight, take that as an opportunity to stand out. Like I said before, standing out is not a bad thing. Make yourself known. Become a leader. There's so many opportunities out there for us that are just put in front of us, and it just takes us to be able to go apply for those and and, and take advantage of that. Like I said, stand out as much as possible. Um, you will find some community as as much as you want to believe. There's there's always going to be people that identify. I feel like nowadays, especially with how our society is progressing. And you may not have a club, but you can always start a club. They, we always have that opportunity. You can always, if you don't have a community, form that community. The University of Ontario Veterinary College is part of the University of Wealth. So for me, you know, I'm one of the only Latinos in my class. But then there is, uh, in the main university, there's a Latino club that I joined. And, and it's outside of the veterinary school. But I joined it because all these people speak Spanish, and I love to speak Spanish. Uh, I love to dance. I love to, to you know, have fun, fun with people with, of my culture and, and stuff like that. So there's always a way of finding that community no matter what, at least here and in a lot of the vet schools that I know around the United States. They're part of a greater university. So find those resources. We have a lot of resources. Go out there and make a change. If you don't see, if you see that there's a need to for a change, go and make it. You know, be the one to make it, and and lead by example. Honestly, like that's the way we're gonna change our, our profession by by going and taking risks that nobody else has taken before. But I think that nowadays is a lot easier for us, and we have it a lot less of a struggle compared to back in the day when things were less progressive. <laughs> but yeah, like don't be discouraged. Veterinary, the veterinary profession profession is so so amazing if that's always what you wanted to do you'll be a great vet no matter what and go in and represent for your community represent for your group and and you know like i said stand out <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i agree with so many things that he said yeah i definitely number one stand out like a hundred percent like you got to come in, you got to be loud, you got to make people notice you because it has been the number one thing that has helped me through all of this. Yeah. Another thing though, is that coming in, well, pretty much like through most of my life, I've always considered myself an underdog considering like lower class, Native American, like all these things. And so everything I've accomplished, it's just me like, constantly like progressing succeeding whereas most people wouldn't think I would and I know I know people I know a lot of people feel that way I know a lot of people in my community feel that way so my my biggest thing has always been continue to succeed continue to show all these people who've ever doubted you show all these people who consider you part of the stereotype and and don't don't be that person being loud and proud and everything else especially in this profession can actually get us very far uh mm -hmm. because i feel like we're like we're the people who are gonna like continue to make these changes and we're the people who are gonna seek out these leadership opportunities um and so I mean, you, you just gotta, you gotta come in and, and you gotta be ready to take it all on. It's, it's rewarding hundred percent. Wouldn't have done my, I wouldn't have done this uh, educational career any other way. I've, I've loved every minute of it and I'll continue to do it even when I'm in practice or doing research or whatever I end up doing. Um, I will continue to help make changes with all of this. Awesome. So you heard it here. Be out, be loud, be visible and go forth and do awesome things. I'm so proud of both of you. I can't wait to see what you are going to do in your careers. And I just, I'm just really, I love having students on the show because you all are just so badass. Like, it's just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. It's just, it's just really, yeah, um, we are. <laughs> so thank you. Thanks for spending some time with me talking about your experiences and um, and sharing with the community kind of what what life is like for you. I appreciate yeah, it. Thank yeah, you no, for doing this. Honestly, like you're one of those leaders that we we're talking about. 
you went ahead and, and, and started this podcast. And I think it's very necessary. And that's exactly what us as minorities um, should should do, you know, change the profession, have this huge impact. And you, you're doing just that by, by having us on here. So thank you. And this was a wonderful experience. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so happy we got to we got to finally do this. Yes. Planning yes. Here. <laughs> yes. This is and so as I as I wrap up, I want to just say that this show has been in the works for a really, really long time. And I want to tell folks why. There are a lot of folks. Well, I mean, I was gonna say there are a lot of folks of color and a lot of LGBT folks. Okay, the numbers are really not. <laughs> <laughs> and the and then once you like overlay those two together, like the numbers get a little bit smaller. Right? Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, what I found was that not a lot of, of folks of color are very engaged in PriVMC at the professional level. They're out there, they're doing cool things, they're doing other things, but they're not necessarily kind of networked into to that particular group. And then there is still, Wancho, I was just so love the work that you're doing trying to reduce stigma, right? And to really kind of create a world where folks feel comfortable being and um, being who they are and talking about who they are and their identity. Identities. But there were a number of folks who were like, I'm really interested but in talking about my life, but I don't want to be on camera. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to use my real name. And, and I want to create those space for those folks too. But the reasons why is because there's still a lot of societal pressure, not just in general, but also within the community that folks feel like their voices are muted and their visibility is muted. And so it was really, really hard to put the show together. It took a long time. And so I really also want to, I don't think that that folks necessarily think, and you all might not necessarily think that you're courageous for kind of wanting to just come on the show and talk about being both queer and being minority students, but given how, for me, how long it's taken me to put this show together, I do want you to know that that is an act of courage because there are a lot of folks that will be watching or listening to this. And, and really, I think that you are setting a tone and really setting an example that you can be out and you can be loud and you can be successful and you can be a leader and you can kind of go on and do great things. And, and I think that there are lots of your colleagues out there, current and coming behind you who need this kind of role modeling. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. 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 So with that, I wish both of you a very happy Pride Month. Um, it is um, June. And I encourage all of our viewers and listeners to scoot on over to the Pride VMC page on Facebook, as well as support Veterinary World Pride 2019 efforts to raising money. There's going to be a big march. They're going to New York. They're going to have a great time. They're going to like... Just I'm <laughs> yeah, right. And so we're gonna stonewall all kinds of stuff in the next um two weeks as the month winds down. So I just kind of want to dedicate this episode to all of our friends and family and our allies who identify as queer and yeah, have a great rest of the month. Awesome. And so you can find this show. This has been another episode of Diversity and Inclusion on Air. You can find the show on just about any podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, blog stuff, wherever you can find it. You can also find us on Facebook under AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air. Be sure to rate and subscribe to find more information. I'm constantly posting all kinds of cool things and articles there. And so with that, I will bid you my guests again. Thank you for participating. And I will relaunch the show with season five this fall. We've got shows on what to do when someone says something racist, sex or homophobic to you. We've got shows on religious accommodation coming, shows on implicit bias, all kinds of cool things are in the hopper for season five of the show. So we'll be back with new episodes sometime in August or early September. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.